Welcome to the Leverage to Scale show. I'm Amber Vilhauer, founder and CEO of LeverageToScale.com, brought to you by NGNG Enterprises, standing for No Guts, No Glory. We work with purpose-driven business owners to develop their online platform and scale their influence. We believe that you have the opportunity to positively change the world one relationship at a time. Stick around to the end of the show in about 20 minutes and I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing marketing podcasts. Let's go. Welcome Leverage to Scale listeners. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Dan and I am joined today by the CEO and founder of a company called Get Emails, which I'm very curious to understand how email retargeting works. So Adam Robinson, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be Uh, here. Absolutely. So this is gonna be fun. Um, so I'm a marketing geek, so I'm really curious to dive into getting emails and what that sounds like. But I also want to know, I'm also a story geek. I love people's stories. So Adam, tell me a little bit about you and about like who you serve through your company. Sure. So um, this current company we're talking about is my second entrepreneurial venture. Uh, it actually started out as a feature inside of the first one. The first one was an email marketing application called Robly. It's like kind of like MailChimp. Um, it's a very hard space. And uh, we came up with this identity product that um, it was just crazy when we figured it out. We could identify people who were on your website but didn't fill out any form or anything and give you their full personal information, email, first name, last name, postal record, without them sort of giving you any permission to have it in any way, right? Wow. So it's a very gray area product. It's totally legal in the U.S. It's not GDPR compliant. It's not It's not uh, CASEL compliant in Canada, but you can 100% do it in the USA. Um, the engagement on the emails people send out was fantastic. And, you know, there's this weird thing where uh, we put it inside of our email marketing application thinking, oh, this is our next growth, you know, spurt. Like, we're going to get people to switch over. Awesome. And people were signing up for the email marketing app only using this identity feature (laughs) and downloading the file every day, uploading it into their email marketing application. And they told us it was like a 10 out of 10 feature, (laughs) you know, even though they weren't using anything else. So it was like a really strong indicator of early product market fit. And we were like, oh, this isn't a good product if this people's, if this is how people's using it, we're forcing people to use our ESP to use it. it. It would be a much better product if we just spun it out connected it to everything, made it very easy for people to install it and get the data and, you know, sort of send out automations on their own ESP. Um, and that was, that's sort of the genesis of, of how we got started with this one. Gotcha. And, and how great is it that you and your team saw that and made that pivot and weren't scared of it? Like an entrepreneurial spirit of let's just go do this thing. Right. Yeah. Well, our journey was weird with that first company. Um, We actually, the way we got that one to sort of call it sustainability, like a really nice lifestyle business, several million dollars of revenue with only a few employees, was um, we actually found 250,000 customer records on the outside of one of the industry leaders' websites. And like it had email, or sorry, it had first name, last name, business name, and zip code on it. And the funny thing about it was there was a six-digit unencrypted number in the URL of this community page that they were creating. If you went up by one, it was a dead page. If you went up by two, it was the next customer. (laughs) So we basically harvested this huge list of leads, which was a double-edged sword because it got us to a position where 
we, you know, and the business is still great. Like it's super cash flow positive. It's great. You know, I have a whole other team running it. Um, but that product was basically not competitive with MailChimp. You know, it was all, like the only reason that worked in the first place is because no one was calling those people with the value proposition that we had because we had this list that no one else knew existed. Um, so that was like three years ago that that list ran out and we'd been throwing spaghetti against the wall trying to figure out some other way to get this thing moving because, you know, before I, I worked on Wall Street before I did this and the idea of having a small cash flow positive tech company that would allow me to live anywhere and travel and all that stuff. That's like the dream. That's like 37 signals dream. But I think yeah. if you get it in your business is not, you know, basically I've redefined what I'm with. Growth is what is kind of exciting. You know, it's having like a stable anything where you just sort of look at the future and you're like, well, this product, like it's not as good as I want it to be. And in order for it to get there, we're just so far from like, you know, these guys are moving faster. They're bigger. They're spending a billion dollars in advertising. Like, how are we going to compete? So, um, it, all that is to say that we were very used to trying new stuff and failing mm. at it. <laughs> and yeah. then finally something came along that sort of worked, you know? So, um, <laughs> you're like, Oh snap, let's do this thing. <laughs> exactly. It's like, Oh yeah. geez, thank you. Something somebody wants. Like <laughs> finally, <laughs> that's funny. I, I, entrepreneur journeys fascinate me. Every single one of them is different. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's lots to unpack in yours. You know, I hear a little bit of like that. You wanted that freedom. You wanted that lifestyle business. Now you want growth and maybe like a legacy or whatever. What is Adam's why? What is your responsibility as an entrepreneur? What motivates you at that deeper level? So I th one thing that I still really feel deeply sort of like called to, if you want to say that, is you know, like I, I worked at this company, Lehman Brothers, for 10 years, a trade credit default swaps. It was a really great professional environment for a young guy, bunch of smart dudes, everybody working hard, everybody's doing great. But like the only reason we were going into the office every day was to make money, you know, that period, like exclamation point. Like yeah. if we could have made money another way, we wouldn't have gone to the office. If we stopped making money, we would have stopped going in, you know, um, just period. So, um, after that experience, I became very interested in creating environments that people actually wanted to be a part of, which is a very multivariate thing. It's like, well, what kind of space are you putting people in and who are you putting them around? What kind of work are you getting them to do? Like, what's the philosophy behind the work you're doing? Like, you know, how, how are you treating your customers? Like, you know, are you trying to make a product that they love? Like all that stuff. Um, and that's still is very important to me. It's like, it's, you know, you cause, because you don't have to do that. Like you can create a company that sucks to work for that, but still have a system that compels people to work there and, you know, is great for you. So, um, that's, that's really important to me. I always thought that the philosophy, you know, there's a book that I read that was deeply impactful by Tony Shea, the Zappos guy. Um, I just thought it was, especially after my Wall Street experience, I thought it was so interesting that these guys, they were all, they were selling shoes, but like they thought they were like changing the world, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I decided then it's like, I'm not really going to care what I sell within reason because like the, the organization and the philosophy behind what you're selling, like you can give people like a really strong sense of purpose and meaning uh, to their lives 
selling anything, right? Like if, if you yeah. approach it in the right way and it's just, you know, there's a lot to that. It's like trying to do an excellent job and only having, you know, excellent people around and, you know, sort of the satisfaction of like somebody loving what you're doing and all that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a deep why. And that has to, you know, move you, motivate you, get you out of bed and, uh, in the morning kind of thing. Um, it probably also helps to have that why when things get hard. Of course. I mean, right. <laughs> that's, Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you know, entre- why else are people going to be, you know, when things yeah. get hard, it's not pretty, right? It's like, why <laughs> else are people sticking around? Right. Well, it's kind of yeah. like going back to, you know, if your why is to make money, when you don't make money, that you're not doing it what you want anymore. Right. So, with that why in mind, like, how, what hard moments do you face? Have you faced those rock bottom moments as an entrepreneur? Like, share one of those moments where you had to rely on that why. Right. So, the probably the hardest moment I ever had was like, so we had this list, which I just explained to you. I can't say the company's name, but it's not hard to figure it out. It's one of the two industry leaders and it's like not the one that is crushing it now. <laughs> so we had another list that was not as good as that. That was sort of from a similar sort of part of their website that they also sort of didn't know was there. And, you know, so, so hilariously, like I, was, I had, a, I had a big loft in New York, like had a bunch of roommates when I was a Wall Street guy. I was like, it, my original roommate started Vimeo in this apartment, so it was like kind of like, almost like MTV Cribs. Like it was my dream the whole time I was in finance to like make a tech company in this really cool place and work with young people and all that stuff. So, you know, it started off as me and co-founder and like our customer support girl who is amazing and still works with us, uh, in one room. And then like fast forward 18 months, there's like 39 people coming to this. I've set up like a, a, a smile and dial, like trading floor in my living room, just rows of desks, you know, like one at a time, like buying the computer and the phone and like setting it all up and stuff. Um, and so we had 39 people come to my apartment and at the time this other list. So the first one was like 250,000 leads and the other one was like a million. And, but I knew it was going to be worse quality, but like, you know, if it worked, it would keep us going on the strategy. We wouldn't have to do much else for maybe another year and a half, couple of years, depending on how, how much we grew our sales force. And like, we tested it and it seemed to be working with our best salespeople. And then like, we got everybody on this list and like people just went and pick up the phone. It like was not even close to working, you know, mm-hmm. just from a unit economic basis, like the payback wasn't within like two years, like let alone or three years even, I don't know. Um, like people were dialing all day and they, they talked to like five people or something like that. And they just can't phone sales. It was a $50 a month product or something. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So like very quickly we decided we had to let everybody go and then go into this hunker down mode and try to figure out what was next. <clears throat> which we still did wrong, but like, you know, I had, I basically had to walk into a room of 25 people and explain to them this horrible mistake that I had made. And I was ramping up the sales force into this, you know, intern program, the whole thing. Like, um, and yeah, like basically whacked 25 people at once, Oof, which was ouch. just brutal. I mean, it's horrible. It's like, you know, you just sold them this dream. Like, yeah, everybody was a recent hire, you know, like, cause we were growing Salesforce so fast. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, all that stuff that I set up there and told you that like, would be so great for your life. Like I was totally wrong. You're all fired. <laughs> yeah. You're all fired. That has um, to hurt. Yeah. It was horrible, horrible to do that, you know, but 
it is what it is, you know, yeah. next time around, I won't. <laughs> right, right. Next time around, I'm not going to have a business in my apartment either. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole different ballgame. Um, yeah. So what do you, so like that kind of a challenge where you've got to make that decision and then follow through on it. What helps you overcome that challenge? What do you, how do you do that? I mean, I think it's, for me personally and for my co-founders, at some point it's just a survival instinct. It's like, you know, I think at that point we were like barely cash flow positive with the staff that we had. Um, and it was just like, we can't, like there's sitting, you know, it just did not make any sense to not, it's, it's kind of like it, like this was a, you know, it's like, there's this quote from somebody that's just like, if you recognize that there's cancer in your arm, you must have strength to cut your arm off. Right. Like, yeah deep connection to a lot of those people working with them every day and they were working hard, but like we had, however we got there, we had a totally un, uneconomic and unsustainable business. And it was very unclear when the next growth mechanism was going to come. You know, we were too optimistic about it and we kept too many people around. We were trying to like do this thing where like, we'd like try to pre-sell a product into a certain audience and then maybe build it later or whatever. And then of course that didn't work, but, you know, um, so, so yeah, it, for me, it was, it just felt like something that we just had to do, you know, and it would have been so asinine to not do it because, yeah. you know, it's like you're running this break even business. The, the unit economics doesn't make sense. Like, it's not like we didn't have investors to hit numbers for anything. It's just like, you know, we need to like save our acorns for the, you know, and, and just figure out what's next, you know? Yeah. Luckily, it's a subscription business. It had low churn. You know, that was three years ago. It's still at the same place that it was, more or less. Um, so, well, and you spun out get emails. So, like, exactly, you've got it a funded secondary. this whole yeah, it yeah. funded this whole other thing. And get emails is now bigger than it is. And you know, it only took five people and not thirty nine to do. And it only took nine <laughs> months instead of four years. You know, it's just like yeah. your your second time is always is always so much better. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we have starter marriages. No, that's not a, that's a bad divorce joke. Anyway, uh, been there. So, so Adam, uh, I noticed when I was doing my research about you, um, one of the things you've got, you, you're, you're an author, you've got a book called, uh, permission marketing, which, marketing. <laughs> which I'm very curious about. Cause I'm like, like, but, but the, the idea behind this question though, is that, you know, there's, there's so much of a push to become a thought leader in the world. You've got a personally brand and then grow your company, all these things. Is the, is the book part of that or how else do you create thought leadership in, in today's world? So let me just be totally open kimono about, about, about how that came to be. So, yeah. um, the nature of get emails, if you even describe it, like 50% of people will call you an asshole, say you're invading people's privacy. In no, seriously, it's like, yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like the, so that we have a, we have a legitimacy problem from day one. Right. Okay. And I knew that. And I was just like, uh, are the people that work for us, if people just knew us, they would feel much more comfortable with what they're doing and they would not feel like we're scammers and sketchy and like just the, the things you start thinking when someone describes something like we do to you. Okay. So part of this was like leading with faces. If you go to our website, 
like we, we, we recorded like 30 podcast episodes for sales enablement only that are all in this really cool studio that's in this office that we, that, that we're in where it's like people that we work with answering these questions. And it's super easy to click on if you're just visiting our website and then start answering these questions for yourself. So those have been amazing. Um, there's this company called drift that I deeply admire the way that they went into this hyper competitive space and just basically outmarketed people. I mean, dude raised $50 million or something. He's outspending people too, but like, that's not an easy space chatbots, right? Right. And somehow they have created a category. They've created massive thought leadership. And from day one, I'm like, there's some similarities between what we're doing and what they're doing. I really like this category creation effort. I'm just going to try to do everything that they did. Part of what they did was write a book. Yeah. I read the book. The book is okay at best. <laughs> it looks good. You know what I mean? Right, no, it's like, right. fine. It's like, what is it? Yeah. It's like making some crazy claims about how the future is going to be and how the past is not the future anymore. And no one's ever going to buy anything. You know, it's like everything's free supplies, infinite, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not true. But like, right. it is kind of true in, in, in your case. Right. So, um, so yeah, the, 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 the book, the, 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 so faces were a big thing. Copying drift was a big thing, but the bigger thing that I've tried to do with our marketing is actually lean into the controversial nature of what we do to get people talking about it. Like, don't worry about pissing some people off, like be flamboyant about how gray area it is. And then, you know, I've, I've gotten like horrible write-ups, like this Jezebel woman teed me up and like, <laughs> you know, just writes this, you know, evil product, evil clients, evil guy, you know, he's whatever. Um, yeah. But that's fine. That's like part of the thing. Um, and the title, so the first marketing book I ever read was Seth Godin's Permission Marketing. Seth's yeah. a great writer. I love his stuff. He, in that book, it was written in 1999, a year after Google was founded. He basically said, the future of marketing would be this. There would be no interruption marketing anymore. You would, you would give a company permission to market to you. And like a gentleman, with your permission, they would basically just you know, build trust into the point that they sell you. Didn't happen at all. The trillion dollar companies invented new ways to interrupt you, right? So yep. this is the idea of my book, Permission to Marketing. It's like permission, permission marketing is great. Like the permission channel is one channel right? But there's, yep. that's just, if that's all that you do, you're really cheating yourself out of all of the other, I mean, no one only does permission marketing. Like Seth was way off in that, in that sort of, I mean, it's a great thing to have people's permission and it is awesome to capture their attention and, and nurture and everything. But like, that is by no means the only way to do it. And somehow the e email's sacred too, right? Like, and that's sort of the point that I'm making. It's like, why wouldn't an e-commerce store retarget somebody who didn't give them permission Yeah. unless you like don't want it. It's like for some reason it's, it's okay everywhere else, but like an email, there's this sacred nature to it. It's like, that's what the spam filters are for. The only reason our product works is because the engagement's good enough that the spam filters like it. Right. Interesting. Like maybe someday it won't be, but for now it, it yeah. is, you know, and it's legal. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you lean into the controversial side of it. Cause so many, like so many people shy away from controversy, right? Even oh, man, People you know, cause marketing or whatever. Stupid like, idea. Like yeah. it, people are passionately against even the idea that I think it's a good idea. But yeah. like, I just look at Donald Trump. Like, I think that guy stays up all night trying to, trying to basically say things 
that will be controversial and get people to respond to them because he knows on social his distribution is going to be so much greater if he does that. Yeah. You know? uh, um, lessons learned for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Adam, what is, you know, you've got, you had some growth, you've got getting emails has, has taken off out of your original company. Um, but what does success look like in 2021 for your next steps? You know, that's a really good question. Going back to sort of quickly, what we said originally is like, I kind of view, you know, if, if people are starting startups and they ask for my advice, I'm like, read two things. One, read like the 37 signals guys in like four hour work week and the stuff about the, the bootstrapping life, right? Cause it's great life, but also read all of the Y Combinator stuff. I think now the Y Combinator philosophy is something, you know, and I don't want to raise venture money, but like it's, I, I get why they can create such successful companies like focusing on product market fit, right? Like not just being satisfied with something that like is, you know, sort of like they call it restaurant businesses. Um, they view growth as kind of a cure-all for your problems. And I don't see an argument to that, right? Like if your revenue keeps growing at 5% a week or something like that, like you're going to be pretty satisfied until that stops happening, <laughs> you know? Right. So like it's, it's, it's kind of a cool target. And, and it, like it's not growth at all costs, but um, sort of engineering your your pointing your ship towards more of like, I want this thing to keep growing because I think building is going to be satisfying and like growth creates better opportunities for your employees. Growth creates better opportunities for you. Um, I really think that I'm more just oriented towards continuing to build stuff, you know, that that's yeah. what's, what's cool to me now. So creator, you're a creator, aren't you? Yeah. At the <laughs> moment, you know, we'll see, yeah. <laughs> we'll awesome. see how it goes. Very cool. Well, Adam, uh, where can people help you support that? vision and uh, get on board and connect with you and let's make this, let's make this happen. I, I want people to connect with you and see your controversy and just engage, <laughs> like just engage. Cause if you disagree yeah. with Adam, get in there. If you agree with him, get in there. So yeah, exactly. Adam Robinson, where, so, can we, where can we get you, man? So we're on Facebook at use, get emails and Twitter at use, get emails. Um, I think if you hit those pages, you'll start seeing our ads. We do weekly ads that are kind of funny, but like they're all about the leaning the controversy stuff. Cool. Um, if you're interested in using the product, it's get emails.com. We always have, great sort of like free offers to get people started. Um, and if you just want to email me personally, it's adam at getemails.com. Awesome. Getemails.com. There you go. Adam Robinson, thanks for being a part of Leverage to Scale, my friend. All right. Thank you very much. much for listening to the Leverage to Scale show. If you are a purpose-driven business owner or professional who would like to have a global impact by being interviewed on our show, please visit leveragetoscale.com forward slash guest. Now, if you got something out of this interview, would you do me a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your favorite social network. If you do that, just be sure to tag us with a hashtag leverage to scale. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and pick one winner from each platform. What do you win? We are going to promote you and your business to all of our social media fans totally free. Next, if you thought this was a valuable use of your time, please support the show and give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. I believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. 
My name is Amber Vilhauer, and I thank you so much for your time. Let's connect on your favorite social channels. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being a part of the No Guts, No Glory movement. Thank you.